there's, this is going to be a very heavy, heavy lesson. So um, a lot of terms. Uh, so if anybody wants me to send them by email this uh, presentation, I'm more than willing to because I know it's a, a bit much to try to write down everything. Well, let, let me start us off in prayer. Heavenly Father, as we dive into systems of thought this morning that stand in direct opposition to your work in creation, the fallenness of this world, and the work of your Son, I pray that you would guard our hearts, protect us as a shepherd protects his flock, as a father protects his children, and keep us ever mindful of the promise of eternal life that we have in your Son, and in whose name we pray, amen. So our lesson today is a follow-up from the video that we watched last week called Worldviews in Conflict. This is a series by Greg Bonson. Hopefully today I'll be able to bring some concepts into context and prepare us for our next lesson, which will be on defending uh, the faith. Start out with a definition of worldview. Does, does anybody, is anybody able to remember the working definition that we've had for worldview over the past few weeks? Or, System of thought, okay. And the system is based on presuppositions. Anything else? So the, here's the full definition. A worldview is a network of presuppositions which are not verified by procedures of natural science regarding reality, which we've been calling metaphysics, knowing, which is epistemology, conduct, which is ethics, in terms of which every element of human experience is related and interpreted. We were given uh, four categories uh, of worldview that come against the Christian worldview. The first one was monism. Monism here is defined as uh, being derived from the Greek word mono, which means single. Monism is a metaphysical system asserting only one ultimate substance or principle in the universe. Monism de denies multiplicity of things, holding that those many things we deem real are simply phases of a one and are somehow illusions. Um, can anybody remember some of the examples of monism that were provided in the series so far? Hinduism? Hinduism? Christian, science. Christian science, very good. Another one, uh, Buddhism and Sikhism as, as well. Buddhism, Sikhism, Hinduism kind of fall under 
a certain uh, religious umbrella. The second category of worldview coming against the Christian worldview was dualism. Dualism being the metaphysical system that holds that there are two ultimate realities, usually designated as mind and matter. Can anybody think of examples of dualism that we find in our world today? It is. Yin and Yang is uh, a concept from uh, Taoism. So in, in there we have a, like a light and dark, good and bad, uh, equal opposites that balance each other. Any other examples? Spartanism. Spartanism. Oh, I, actually, I'm not familiar with that word. Does, does anybody else know Spartanism? Can, I don't know. <laughs> um, some of the examples he came up with were uh, Platonism, that there is a, you know, uh, we have a physical and spiritual, and in that context, good and bad. There's also moralism. Um, that's uh, a concept that seems to be the default in our current culture. Um, a third worldview that, that was presented was atomism, a form of materialism which holds that the material universe is composed of indestructible particles. Uh, so skipping down the bottom, atomism necessarily denies monism in that it affirms infinite atomic differentiation in reality. So examples that were provided in the series were determinism, um, which an example of that was Marxism, and free will, which was utilitarianism. And then the last category coming against the Christian worldview was pragmatism. The philosophical system which holds that the meaning of an idea or proposition lies in its observable practical consequences. Pragmatists argue that we must live to solve our problems, even though we do not need to theoretically account for explanations. We must be able to adapt to the environment, solve our problems, and get ahead in life. Pragmatism shuns the traditional problems of philosophy, i.e., we do not need certainty but utility. So a pragmatist doesn't look for absolute truth, right? Absolute beauty, absolute goodness. A pragmatist looks for functional truth, whatever works for me. Uh, aesthetic, like ultimate? Yeah, no ultimate. Mm -hmm. So examples provided were cynicism and skepticism. Can anybody recall a definition provided by Bonson uh, for, um, what, for what is meant by the term apologetics? Defending the faith, yes. And 
You had a few def uh, synonyms for defense as well. And you see some of those synonyms actually in translations in the, of different Bible versions. Um, but the word that he chose was vindication. Apologetics is the vindication of the Christian philosophy of life against various forms of the non-Christian philosophy of life. Um, and synonyms provided here were to give a word back, to respond, or to give a defense. But what we learned last week was that Bonson says, in principle, all competing worldviews are systematically in opposition to the Christian worldview. So in that context, we must ask the question of um, what is being vindicated, right? Um, what is under attack, and what is it that we are offering a defense for? Hopefully that's going to flesh out a little bit in our presentation this morning. So the gospel I'm presenting this morning as a window of the Christian worldview. Um, I'm borrowing this mo mostly from a presentation by John Piper, but um, these components are what you'll, you'll broadly come across as in terms of uh, uh, breaking down the gospel message. Um, the first point is that God created us for his glory. Each one of these points will be something that comes under attack by opposing worldviews. The next point of the gospel is that every human should live for God's glory. Next, we have all sinned and fallen short of God's glory. We all deserve eternal punishment, therefore. In his great mercy, God sent forth his only son, Jesus Christ, into the world to provide for sinners the way of eternal life. And then the definition of eternal life. Eternal life is a free gift to all who will trust in Christ as Lord and savior and supreme treasure of their lives. So as a mechanism for evaluating how worldviews that we see present in our culture today come against the Christian worldview, what I'd like to do is step through some common catechisms that are available on the internet and see how they respond to the questions that are presented in uh, Protestant Catechism. We've been going through the New City Catechism for a little over a year now in our church. Um, but for those who may not be familiar with the, the term, a catechism is a summary of principles of religion in the form of questions and answers, and they're used for instruction, sometimes used for children, but I find it very useful as an adult as well and just getting the right categories in my head. 
But if you look online, you'll actually find that there are catechisms for many different religions. And I'm going to be pulling from uh, four others today. For Buddhism, I, have, I found a, the Buddhist catechism. Hinduism, uh, a Hindu catechism. And Islam, a Muslim catechism for beginners and young children. For Catholicism, a compendium of the catechism of the Catholic Church. And for Protestantism, I'm pulling from the New City Catechism, that, which I just spoke of a moment ago. Our first question from the New City Catechism is, what is our only hope in life and death? Can anybody remember the answer to the question? That we are not our own, right? Our only hope is that we are not our own, but belong to God. Useful definitions that come out of this concept, that we are not our own, but belong to God. This is a question of purpose, of meaning, um, of, of the God, that the one true God um, that we know. So useful definitions, theism. Theism is the belief in existence of God or gods. Atheism is the disbelief or lack of belief in the existence of God or gods. Utopianism, the belief in and pursuit of an idealistic state of being on earth through collectivism and our self-actualization. Examples of this we've actually been exposed to already in this series. Communism, anarcho-primitivism, Marxism, Leninism. And then the last one I have up on the slide here is uh, either pronounced nihilism or nihilism. The belief that life is meaningless. So according to scripture, in Romans 14, I'm quoting, for none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. This is our hope. So, additionally, from 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You are bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. So then, what is the response then? To the question, what is our only hope in life and death? Here's a few questions from a Hindu catechism that get at the same point. Can you tell me the remedy? So from a Hindu perspective, our only hope is this, to dispel ignorance and become wise. They ask, question, question 119 is, what is that which most is most valuable? Answer, to know the whole secret of man's existence and destiny, so that we may estimate at no more than their actual value, this life and its relations, and so that we may live in a way to ensure the greatest happiness and the least suffering for our fellow men and ourselves. 
Question 197, did the Buddha hold with idol worship? And in this context, idol worship means God in that category. He did not, he opposed it. The worship of gods, including the one true God, demons, trees, was condemned by Buddha. External worship is a fetter that one has to break if he has to advance higher. So we put Buddhism in the category of atheism then. So same question for Hinduism. What does a Hindu think about our only hope in life and death? Well, the question is down here, number 26, is what are the nature and qualities of this Atman? The self in its pure state is, pure, is absolutely perfect. It is characterized by eternal existence. That's us. Absolute consciousness and absolute bliss, but in an embodied state. When it becomes enmeshed in matter, its consciousness becomes contracted and enveloped by various degrees of ignorance. Right? So the purpose of spiritual life is to remove those layers of ignorance and return to the original perfect state. But because they at least recognize that there is something beyond, you know, uh, a God concept for the moment, for the time being, we'll label Hinduism as theistic. Um, because they at least recognize that there is a such thing as God, um, even, but, we also, but they also say that we are part of God, um, as opposed to Buddhism, which does not recognize uh, an entity as God. Uh, but we'll, we'll flesh out the distinction a little bit later, though. So how does Islam address the same question? What is their only hope? Answer, Islam looks upon the whole of humanity as one family under the universal benevolence of God, the common creator and nourisher of all. Actually, not a bad answer. So we'll put them in the category of theistic. Roman Catholicism. God himself in creating man in his own image has written upon his heart the desire to see him. Even if this desire is often ignored, God never ceases to draw man to himself because only in God will he find and live the fullness of truth and happiness for which he never stops searching. Sorry. Uh, that's Roman Catholicism. So we can put them scare, uh, squarely in the category of theistic. Protestantism. And of course, these answers are not necessarily encompassing of everybody who falls into the category of Protestantism or Catholicism or Hinduism, um, but at least it gives us a metric to gauge uh, where the common understanding is. So what is our only hope in life and death? That we are not our own, but belong body and soul, both in life and death, 
to God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Protestantism is theistic. So then, what is God? Can anybody remember the answer to this question? God is the creator of everyone and everything. So, working definitions. Creationism. The belief that the universe and life originated from specific acts of divine creation. It is Abrahamic religions that hold to this category. Pantheism. The universe and all matter are divine or are a part of God rather than being separate yet created by God. Here we have Sikhism, Hinduism, Confucianism, Taoism. And a cosmism. So here's the distinction you were asking about before. So for, for a Buddhist uh, who holds to this a cosmistic view, this is the belief that all of the material world is simply an illusion. So the world that we experience is not reality. The reality is something beyond us, or the true, the true us. Um, but also, this, this plays into Christian science as well. So what does the Bible say? Exodus chapter 3, verse 14. What is God? God said to Moses, I am who I am. Isaiah chapter 44. Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, who formed you from the womb. I am the Lord who made all things, who alone stretched out the heavens, who spread out the earth by myself. So, from the Buddhist religion, we have a similar question. Um, do Buddhists accept the theory that everything has been formed out of nothing by a creator? The Buddha taught that two things are causeless, akasha and nirvana. Everything has come out of akasha in obedience to the law of motion inherent in it, and after certain existence passes away, Nothing ever came out of nothing. We do not believe in miracles. Hence, we deny creation and cannot conceive of a creation of something out of nothing. So, Buddhism, a cosmistic. What is God to a Hindu? Question number 15 for them is, what is meant by ultimate reality? The ultimate reality in the Vedas is known as Brahman, which means the immensity. It refers to the Godhead, the source of the universe we see around us. He is the material cause, the efficient cause, and the auxiliary cause. Skipping down, Brahman is the substratum of the universe. So there is no creation, but all are part of this uh, ultimate reality. So they fit into the category of pantheistic. 
what is God to a Muslim? They say, in the name of Allah, the beneficent, the merciful, say, he, Allah, is one. Allah is he whom, on whom all depend. He begets not, nor is he begotten, and none is like him. So, Islam is creationistic. Catholicism. The church in her profession of faith claims that God is the creator of everything, visible and invisible. Finally, Protestantism. What is God? God is the creator and sustainer of everyone and everything. He is eternal, infinite, and unchangeable in his power and perfection, goodness and glory, wisdom, justice, and truth. Nothing happens except through him and by his will. Creationistic. Next one, how many persons are there in God? You can see where this is going to trip up some. Answer, there are three persons in one God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Definitions, first one we have is monotheism, the belief that there is only one God. Trinitarianism, the belief that God is three distinct hypostases or persons who are co-equal, co-eternal and indivisible, indivisibly united in one being or essence. Sorry, I stumbled over that one. Um, modalism, the belief that persons of the Trinity represent only three modes or aspects of the divine relation, revelation not distinct and coexisting persons in the divine nature. What does scripture say? Well, from 2 Corinthians chapter 13, we have certain, these are, these are certain Trinitarian statements, but uh, in actually to develop a doctrine of the Trinity would take a lot more than two bullet points. Um, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of the God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And from Matthew 28, verse 19. This is, uh, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So how does Hinduism address the idea of God? and whether or not there are parts. We believe that one supreme being, this is Brahman, manifests itself in three forms in order to create the world, Brahma, to maintain the world, Vishnu, and to transform the world, Shiva. These three are known as the Trimurti or Trinity. Let that sink in for a moment. These three aspects, these are three aspects of one Godhead, just, or these are three aspects of the one Godhead, just three functional differences. As I key, on, key in on the functional differences category, I'm going to label, for now, Hinduism 
as modalistic, right? Because they do not see a separation. There is the one God, all are part of him. So where we see uh, manifestations of this one God, they're only manifestations in fun with a functional difference, but they are, in essence, you know, all part of the same one God. So this would be like how some people say, well, God is like um, ice and steam and water or something, modalistic. So, modalism, the belief that the three persons of the Trinity represent only three modes or aspects of the divine re revelation, not distinct and coexisting persons in the divine nature. So, because there's not a separation of person. Okay. So, for Islam, are there any gods besides Allah? Answer, there is only one God. Is Jesus the son of God? No, Jesus is a prophet of God. God has no son. So we can call uh, Muslims uh, monotheistic, but not Trinitarian. Um, Roman Catholics. The church expresses her Trinitarian faith by professing a belief in the oneness of God in whom there are three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We're pretty good, pretty good in that, with that definition. So monotheistic and Trinitarian. And for Protestants, there are three persons in the one true and living God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They are the same in substance, equal in power and glory. So clearly monotheistic and Trinitarian. How and why did God create us? God created us, male and female, in his own image to glorify him. A useful definition here, deism. It, it relates, the, the question of deism relates to whether or not we have a personal God or, or not. Deism is the belief that God created the universe and then left it alone. That God does not seek a relationship with his creation. And examples of this are clockmaker analogy or theistic evolution. Kind of sneak that one in there. What does the Bible say? In Genesis chapter 1, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And uh, I think we saw this one before. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. So God created us for his glory. What does Hinduism think about it? Question number 21, why do we worship them? People worship the gods in order to show their gratitude, 
to ask for grace and blessings or just to serve them in some way or to achieve liberation. It's liberation from the physical. For Islam, Allah created human beings. The name of the first man Allah created is Adam. The name of the first woman Allah created is Eve. The two parts of which man is composed are body and soul. Simplistic but very good categories. For the Catholic faith, through the account of six days of creation, sacred scripture teaches us the value of the created world and its purpose, namely to praise God and to serve humanity. And for Protestants, God created us, male and female, in his own image to know him, love him, live with him, and glorify him. And it is right that we who were created by God should live to his glory. Um, so I, I grew up Catholic, and um, I, uh, I always heard the idea that God cre uh, created out of the outflowing of his love, you know, overflow of his love. That was the purpose for creation. But I, I think that these are not necessarily in conflicting with each other, though. So what else did God create? God created all things, and all his creation was very good. You can start to think about where different worldviews would come against this type of concept. A good definition to work in here is Gnosticism. Includes a belief that all matter, whether it be physical, be the physical universe or human body, is evil. I threw Seventh-day Adventists under the bus on this one um, because uh, my understanding that uh, in their understanding when, when uh, Jesus um, uh, condescended and he was born, he was born with a, um, as a human, um, in doing that, he uh, took on a sin nature. Um, this, this is their understanding of, of, uh, um, of that process. So because, because all, that, all that is in this world is, is fallen and is sinful, then, then when, when Jesus took on a human uh, form, he also took on the nature as well, a sinful nature. So, um, Question, so question five again was, what else did God create? According to scripture, from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. This is from Romans chapter 11. And from Genesis chapter 1, verse 31, God saw that everything that he had made, and behold, it was very... According to Hinduism... Their question number 28 is, in what way is the Hindu Atman different from the Abrahamic soul? 
According to the Abrahamic religions, the soul is a thing created by God and given to mankind, only whom he creates first. I think there's a, a bit of a misunderstanding. People have a soul, whereas we are the Atman, which is one. It is not something that we have. It is who we truly are. In the Abrahamic religions, only humans have souls. Animals have life, but they do not have souls. According to Hindu teaching, consciousness is the quality of the Atman. If something is conscious, then it indicates the presence of Atman. All living beings are Atman. So there's a unity in all living beings. So the answer to the question is, God did not create any, any, anything because all is one. For the Muslim faith, Allah is our creator. He is the creator of matter and soul, the creator of the universe, and all things that we see around us. And for Catholics, the world was created for the glory of God, who wished to show forth and communicate his goodness, truth, and beauty. This is a little bit of what we talked about before. And for the Protestant, again, God created all things by his powerful word, and all his creation was very good. Everything flourished under his loving rule. So how can we glorify God then? If we were created for that purpose? The answer provided in the New City Catechism is by loving him and by obeying his commands and law. Deuteronomy chapter 11 states, You shall therefore love, your, love the Lord your God and keep his charge, his statutes, his rules, and his commandments always. Micah chapter 6 verse 8. He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? But how does Hinduism approach this topic? Question number 10 is, are the Vedas God's commands? No, God does not issue any commands. A stark contrast, right? So consequently, what is, what is a God who does not issue commands? This is their question number 16. Is God a person? Answer, there are many differences of opinion among the various schools of Hindu philosophy. Some say that he is. Others say he is not. Some say that he is a being possessed of all the good qualities so, or that you can imagine in completeness and devoid of any negative qualities. Some schools of Hindu philosophy are non-theistic, which means that they don't accept the idea of a personal god, or they say that a personal god is not relevant to our lives. Seeing that ultimately the nature of an infinite God is unknowable by finite minds, all theology is speculation. So, there you go. See this? Theism just disappeared. <laughs> and we're going to bring in, okay, 
new concept. So maybe we'll call this deistic theism or functionally atheism. So some, some Hindus don't believe that a God exists at all. And if they do believe that God exists, then they have no relationship with him. So for the Muslim faith, what does Allah want you to do? Allah desires that I should love him, worship him, and obey his commandments. Very similar, right, to Christianity. Catholicism. Question 43, what does it mean to believe in only one God? To believe in the one and only God involves coming to know his greatness and majesty. It involves living in thanksgiving and trusting always in him. Even in adversity, it involves, the knowing, it involves knowing the unity and true dignity of all human beings created in his image. It involves making good use of the things which he has created. And Protestantism. We glorify God by enjoying him, loving him, trusting him, and obeying his will, commands, and law. So therefore, what does the law require, right? What does the law of God require? Answer, that we love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love our neighbor as ourselves. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 22, and Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. This is the Shema. James chapter 2 says, Whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. Just in case you thought you could actually satisfy the first one. What does Islam teach with regard to this? Okay. Question number 70 from their catechism. How can you be good to your fellow men? By desiring for them, my neighbor, everything I desire for myself. This is a love your neighbor concept. What does Islam teach you? Islam teaches me to serve and obey Allah and to practice good and avoid evil. Catholicism. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Quoting directly from Matthew 22. The Ten Commandments, so this might be surprising for somebody who is not familiar with, or with uh, Roman Catholicism. The Ten Commandments form an organic and indivisible whole because each commandment refers to the other commandments and to the entire Decalogue. To break one commandment, therefore, is to violate the entire law. Not bad, right? Uh, Protestantism, what does, God, what does the law of God require? Perfect, personal, perfect, and perpetual obedience. 
that we love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love our neighbors as ourselves. What God forbids should never be done, and what God commands should always be done. Now here's the real tricky one. Can anyone keep the law of God perfectly? It's kind of the, the test for uh, Christianity. Since the fall, no human has been able to keep the law of God perfectly. Let's see how this is addressed. From Scripture, Romans chapter 3. None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. From 1 John chapter 1. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us, or forgive our sins, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we, have, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. categories. First one is Pelagianism, the denial of original sin, that each person is born in the same condition as Adam before the fall. Synergism, the belief that salvation is attained by combining man's good works and God's grace, that neither grace alone nor works alone can save. Examples of this Roman Catholicism, Eastern Orthodoxy, Oriental Orthodoxy, the terms semi-Pelagian, Arminianism also are forms of synergism. The last one, monergism, the belief that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, as revealed in the scripture alone, to the glory of God alone. Um, I haven't studied on that, but I would guess that Judaism is synergistic. So this is a good distinctive for Muslim faith. Question number 75 for them is what should be our aim on this earth? Our aim should be to live a perfect life on earth in order to gain heaven after. Islam makes man the architect of his own destiny. So in, in the categories that I established, um, the Muslim faith is, can anyone keep the law of God perfectly? The Catholic faith says, Christ, well, their, their question, 441, is it possible to keep the Decalogue? Remember, and if you break one, then you break all, right? The answer to the, their, their answer for this question is yes. Is it possible? Yes. Because Christ, without whom we can do nothing, enables us to keep it. While respecting our freedom, God asks us to cooperate with him and gives us the ability to do so.
So we'll put that into the category of synergistic. For Protestants, since the fall, no mere human has been able to keep the law of God perfectly, but consistently breaks it in thought, word, and deed. So monergistic. So question 15, a question that only a Christian would ask. Since no one can keep the law, what is its purpose? Answer, that we may know the holy nature of God and the sinful nature of our hearts and thus our need of a savior. According to scripture, Romans chapter three, for by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight since through the law comes knowledge of sin. John chapter five, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life and it is they that bear witness about me. So it points to the person and work of Christ. Galatians chapter three, so then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. So according to Protestantism, this is our answer then, the full answer. Since no one can keep the law, what is its purpose? That we may know the holy nature and will of God and the sinful nature and disobedience of our hearts and thus our need of a savior. The law also teaches and exhorts us to live a life worthy of our savior. So, so it'll be a little back and forth now. So we were pre presented last week with the idea that all competing worldviews are systematically in opposition to the Christian worldview, which I've captured here in, in an outline of the gospel. God created us for his glory. Every human should live for God's glory. We have all sinned and fallen short of God's glory, and therefore we all deserve eternal punishment. But in his great mercy, God sent forth his only son, Jesus Christ, into the world to provide for sinners the way of eternal life. Eternal life is a free gift to all who will trust in Christ as Lord and Savior and supreme treasure of their lives. So we've learned Buddhism to be monistic from Bonson's lessons, atheistic and acosmistic, meaning that they see all of our experience, all of uh, material existence as an illusion, not the ultimate reality. All right, so I'd like to ask you the question then, how does the Buddhism worldview, which is monism, um, interact or act in opposition to the gospel? Do you see any direct conflict? denies God as, as what? As the creator. Right? So if you deny the creation, then you're denying God as the creator, right? Um, so, so there's, I guess those are the two points there that one, 
One, they're denying God, and one, they live in denial of the creation that they live in. Everything else flows from there, right? Systematically in opposition? <laughs> right. Right, but you start to see where an apologetic can be formed for this worldview, though, right? Obviously, they live in this world. Obviously, they interact with this world, but, they, but their theology is that this world is only illusion, right? So, but... I guarantee that when they go to cross the street, they look both ways before they walk it out into the road, right? Right, so, so as we're starting to learn from Bonson, um, there's, there are ways that, um, how do you enter into this conversation? One is um, sometimes they're bar using borrowed capital, right? They're acknowledging um, the work of God but denying but denying the person, right? Or, um, or they're living in denial of their, their own existence. So they're, they're living in a way that, deny, that is in, in opposition to what they propose or purport to, be, to believe, right? Um, Hinduism. We learned as monistic, like Buddhism is, but also pantheistic, modalistic, and we put them into the category of uh, deistic theism or functionally atheistic, right? So they might, some of them might acknowledge that there is a God, but reject him as a creator, right? And reject him as a, as a personal creator. So um, they, have no, they have no personal relationship with this God, so functionally it doesn't matter if he's there or not. But they would still acknowledge that there are, um, um, there's right and wrong, there's you know good and bad. There are rules that uh, that we live by in this world. But, but where but where do they come from? Doesn't Hinduism believe there is a God and it is you? Uh, we are part. We're all part of God. Yeah. But eventually, you become God because that's you. We become re yeah reconciled to uh, Islam. Theistic, creationistic, monotheistic, but non-Trinitarian, and Pelagianistic, right? So um, um, Islam would, their major criticism against Christianity would be that we've taken somebody, a person, a man in the, in the person of Jesus and made him out to be God, right? A major criticism. But when you look at what Pelagianism is, in its nature, they say that man is the architect of his own destiny, right? They have given man the, um, the standing to be righteous in his own person, in his own work be before God. Um, and he has also the ability to pay the punishment that God exerts for his wrongdoings. Well, I mean, it would be a fallacy to associate American culture with Christianity, which they tie those two things together, and therefore... Um, well, I mean, in, in all of their uh, professions, they would call Allah uh, beneficent and merciful and, and righteous, right? But there's a problem in getting reconciliation between those two ideas. How is it that 
that Allah is merciful um, and righteous at the same time? Christianity has an answer to that question. Uh, Roman Catholicism, theistic, creationistic, monotheistic, Trinitarian, but synergistic. So this might be a more, this is a more difficult question. How, how do you interact with a Roman Catholic? What is it about the nature of God or um, the way they live in this world that, that is uh, the point of interaction? Mm -hmm. Right. They, they deny our fallen nature. Right. So when we were, I don't know if I can go all the way back up to John 1. Let's see if I can read that. So reading from, so I, I didn't go there on this presentation here, but I, reading from 1 John 6, all right, 1 John 1, 6 through 10, again, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and the word is not in us. But the Catholic catechism, um, the answer to the question is, you know, of can we be righteous before God? Is the answer to that is yes. That is it is it possible for somebody to keep the Decalogue? Yes, it is possible. And even if he doesn't keep the Decalogue. Right, he goes to purgatory, and he can pay for just you know become righteous before God as a result of uh, that experience in purgatory. So, we're going to get into more of defending the faith next week. Um, hopefully, this is a a little taste, a little establishing of categories, and working out a vocabulary for everybody. But um, Bonson will be walking us through some of the tools that we're going to be using. Um, as we move forward into the lesson. Hopefully this was helpful for everybody, and uh, if anybody um, would like it, I can just let me know and I'll, I'll forward you the presentation. Thank you.